Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Let us begin Recorder 66 this week with the story of the greatest cinematic opera of all time, featuring musicians and composers, including but not limited to Michael Giacchino, John Powell, Kevin Kiner, the incomparable London Symphony Orchestra, and its fearless leader, most importantly. We're going to say his name a whole lot this evening, I suspect. Oh, Mr. Yeah. John Williams, uh, in a class of his own for film scoring, uh, with other works including Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, <laughs> well Schindler's List, freaking Sunday Night Football. This 88-year-old genius is responsible for just about every piece of music in the Skywalker saga, and thus the overall sonic autograph of Star Wars in general. Uh, this week, we're going to be counting down our top six favorite musical themes and or songs in this series, with special thanks to at Johnny Woodward 12 on Twitter, who uh, sent us a message and suggested we try this for a, a topic for the podcast. So big thanks to Johnny. Thank you, Johnny. This was definitely a good direction piece and one that would have uh, would have made the the episode order in short order, but uh, definitely uh, an easy one to, to shuffle to the top. Now, we don't have a lot of ground rules in place. We can pick uh, full compositions or more isolated motifs if we wish. Uh, we're free to draw from any Star Wars canon. Again, these are our personal favorites, not necessarily the most conventionally iconic or important pieces of Star Wars music. Neither of us are music students. We're relying only on our emotional attachment to the pieces rather than our technical appreciation for the most part. But we're all fans of this music, you the audience as well, and we invite you to come up with a, a list of your own favorites. It has been uh, an interesting day. I have constantly been listening to Star Wars music on Apple Music since I got up this morning. I listened nice. to the entirety of the scores for the original trilogy. Um, all wow. three, all three movies, and select pieces from the other six films as well. Uh, just because I, I, I suspected they'd be in my list, and I wanted to confirm that um, it was a an empowering day to have this as like the backdrop, the score for my Monday. Mm. Um, how did you enjoy uh, prepping for this episode? Uh, similarly, uh, I sometimes just depending on what zone I want to get into, we'll listen to some Star Wars music just in the background as good just work music. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of similarly what, to what I did here. There are some that I can certainly talk about, um, and some uh, I listen to every day. Um, and uh, <laughs> I will kind of explain that as it gets to it. Um, there are some where I didn't uh, really have to even listen to it again. There are some that I've been listening to recently that um, has been stuck in my head for for a few months. And uh, had it not been for uh, believe it or not, the rise of Skywalker would not be in my top six. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing as to the logic behind that. Uh, cause it's also, I don't think in the rise of Skywalker, although they said they use samples of all, um, themes in it, but, uh, you know, it was a, it was a cool thing to prepare for, uh, there, it was really, 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 really tough. It was, yeah. to be honest, it, it, it was less preparation and more deliberation. Uh, it was mostly just kind of the reorder of these themes, um, uh, not a ton of research really at all, but just mostly just kind of humming and hawing based on the, the way I feel about these things after uh, having them be in my life forever. And you would say these songs, or at least some of them, are like actively incorporated into your life. Yeah, interestingly, uh, a couple of them are. Uh, and uh, like, for example, my number, like uh, my number six is, and I can, I'll get to that in a sec. But uh, yeah, there are some that are are regularly in there. So do you want to uh, break into this top six favorite Star Wars themes, motifs, songs, compositions in general? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to kind of see where we uh, divert and line up, uh, see if anything do like line up on the exact same ones. Uh, I also have a very di- like clear seven through um, 11. Yeah. And uh, I, I can reference those as well. And a few other honorable mentions just to give a shout out to, but uh, it was like really tough. Like that seven to 11, seven to, to 10, that was like, it, it was pretty hard to not put them as ones that I wanted to talk about. Oh, some, um, some of the songs. Especially seven and eight, but yeah, um, some of the songs the way it is. Are, are just like painful to not include. It's like you, oh, you almost you almost feel ridiculous excluding some of the songs, but you have to because that's that's the thing about Star Wars is it's so chock full with masterworks that you, you have to. I'll be curious to know if there is um, one theme that neither of us put in our top six and we're both mad that neither of us were able to put it in because like there are a couple that... I'm kind of hoping you put on your top six so I feel like they get their due. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm not too concerned because I think I've got a pretty pedestrian, if personal list. And I do, I, I, I take these all to heart. Although I think I said in a previous episode, it could change with the day, change with your Oh, mood. yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think this may be more than anything in Star Wars. Uh, I mean, there's lots of things that can change with the day, like the love of a movie even. But the themes being... Like just those snippets and those things that are reused so frequently, and the fact that you can just listen to them from time to time, uh, I would definitely agree on that. That it can change pretty quick. Without further ado, going to get things started uh, with my number sixth, my sixth favorite Star Wars song. It comes from the original Star Wars mo- movie, Episode Four: A New Hope, uh, and it's the Cantina Band theme. <laughs> kind of an exception to the rule for operatic compositions because it doesn't in any way, unlike most Star Wars pieces, recur thematically. It is heard one time and one time alone in the most Eisley Cantina when Luke and Ben Kenobi and the droids uh, visit in search of a pilot. And it serves to illustrate how fish out of water we the audience are as much as, as they are stepping in there for the first time. It's also the closest thing Star Wars has to a pop song because it plays on uh, jazz hooks instead of classical, which is more typical for the series. For me, it's also quite nostalgic because as much as as much time as we spent watching Star Wars movies as kids, we spent even more time playing the PC video game Jedi Knight, mm-hmm. which opens on that cantina theme. And so I've heard it so, so much. It's also just one of the most recognizable, um, inexorable Star Wars songs ever written. And if I may, it slaps. It's a banger. It's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, figuring Don is, like, you don't know that character's name. No. That is the guy, that's the leader of the band. Yet, that is one of the most recognizable faces in Star Wars. And musically, sonically, one of the most recognizable things in Star Wars. Uh, And because it comes from that original movie and the amount of weight that singular movie has over really the entire saga, but over any other individual element of the saga. Now there's one incredible theme that everybody is mind blown when they find out isn't in A New Hope. But uh, this is one that, from, for example, in A New Hope, uh, is it, it just it sticks out so much. And like you said, the one-time usage doesn't separate it from being almost as iconic as the main theme, which is used every time. I know, but it's just so individual because it's mm-hmm. it's so interesting that he chose to write like a swing jazz song, but he was also able to make it sound like aliens are playing it. Do you know what I mean? Like it still sounds uh, yeah. science fiction. It's weird. But it also sounds like it's from like the 40s and it's like big band music or something, but it's also a mm-hmm. pop song. And 
And so that's that's why it's like it's just it's just a bop. It's it's just so fun to listen to. So it's my number yeah, six. It puts you in a good mood. Uh, absolutely, uh, nothing but positive things to say about that. I will say that was the number eleven on my on my list. You know, uh, there's it was one the, that it was never making my top six, but I, it was one that it was so hard to not put on there. It's a little less impactful if we do top six lists. If you come up with a top eleven. Well, I'm always like they gotta miss the cut. Yeah, you're right. Okay, all right. You're nothing br- wrong with that. You're doing the math back there. You're crunching numbers. Uh, I mean, you, you got to give them their due. Okay, um, you're my number six. My number six is uh, actually the song that I wake up to every day. Uh, it's my alarm clock. Okay, uh, that's the reason as to why it's so incredibly incorporated. Uh, I love it. It's very positive. Uh, it reminds me of like daybreak. It reminds me, but the song also has. Um, kind of like a life cycle to it. And so there's just something about it that uh, melodically is, uh, it's really pleasant to wake up to. Um, it's also probably the most poorly used theme in Star Wars. And there's a decent chance that you wouldn't recognize most of it. Okay. Um, and it is from The Phantom Menace and it would be Anakin's theme. And Anakin's theme is extremely underutilized. It's uh, it has subtle positive uh, mirrors of the Imperial March in it, um, of course, to kind of mirror the the OG Darth Vader theme. Um, but it's very very positive. The opening um, bars of the song, uh, just when you listen to it, that's what like I wake up to, and it's it's just it's a very very positive. Uh, it's not used well during the movie, but um, that's a that was a soundtrack that got more play than probably any soundtrack in star wars maybe history um because of duel of the fates um but anakin's theme is such an underrated gem and is so incredibly star warsy uh and i think should be brought back in in different kind of ways uh it's just uh it's it's very soothing as well so does this thematically recur through the next two prequel films are there other versions of this for hayden christensen's version of anakin uh, I don't think it's used in the same way. No, I, I believe there's it, it's sampled, but I don't think it's used to the same extent, and it's not like a featured uh, song. Um, the only kind of um, times I picked up on it were in the, the like overtly picked up on it were in the Phantom Menace. It's not even really used much there. It's it's really it's kind of one of those rare ones where um, it's my love of Star Wars as an overall has allowed me to find this gem, and it's incredibly Star Warsy. Um, and it makes you think of Star Wars and all those things. But at the same time, it's not something that immediately draws you to a moment in Star Wars. Uh, and that's okay. That's completely okay. Um, but that was another thing that just in my exploration uh, of my, like the fir- like probably a year ago, I did a deep, deep dive into all of like kind of what you did probably in preparation for this in terms of like just really kind of f- feeling out all the music and like, oh, I didn't really know that that theme was that or that was called that. Um, and this song just has, has stuck with me ever since. It's been my alarm clock um, for a while. So a word you used to describe it a couple of times was positive. Do you think, and I suspect probably, uh, that was part of the decision-making and crafting this piece about an innocent Anakin before the negativity has corrupted him? Like, this is... Almost hopeful. Yeah. Okay, well, and that's what Anakin is, is he, he, yeah. he represents hope, a failed hope, dashed hope. 
Yeah, and it's um, but the way this it, the song opens up, and it's like it's not like it's not all purely positive though. There are some like you can like I don't know what like it's a little tumultuous. Like like it, it really it, it kind of has like a life cycle to it. It's I, I don't really uh, know how else to describe it, and I'm not sure if like a a little sample is gonna get the get the full picture for it. But uh, I do highly recommend uh, listening to that one in full, and uh, that the opening little bits of it are, are definitely a nice thing to wake up to. All right, my number five, uh, my fifth favorite Star Wars song is titled The Throne Room End Credits. This is the last piece mm. of music that exists in uh, Star Wars and New Hope. Interesting that we're, we're hanging out in the early parts of, of trilogies here so far in our countdowns. So yes, it is a larger piece of music that fades into the song that we hear over the credits. But specifically, I want to celebrate the throne room motif. Um, what moves me about it is its ability to transition into the end credits. Of course, the end credits mm. feature many more essential Star Wars melodies. Um, it kind of brings back everything in sort of a reverse uh, overture at the end. The throne room um, just sets it up so so beautifully. It's a presentational song as much as it's it's used to present our heroes after their victory and to present to mm-hmm. them their victorious medals. It presents the victory of Star Wars as a movie to the world. Like, look what we just pulled off. You just yeah. had the best time in the theater of your lives. And it manages, manages to encompass um, the signature essence of Star Wars in its infancy, which is brand new mm-hmm. at this point, totally pulls off like summing up what Star Wars is sonically, while also sounding like a 500-year-old march. Like, it sounds yeah. as old as time itself. Um, also visually... Just the gorgeous smiles between Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher that they kind of like wink at yeah. each other. They share while that music plays. It's kind of indelibly etched into the music itself. You can't hear that song without seeing them look at each other. And uh, I can't. Yeah, Luke that's... Skywalker finally like cleaned up as well for the first time. R two like, survived. Like a real hero to see that R two survived the the great mm-hmm. battle, and he looks great. And and it, it just in in every way you feel good when you hear that song. Um, what what a great score does um, is is evoke your 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 memories of of the experience, and I think this song does that perfectly. Oh no, it's an absolutely beautiful song, and and part of my honorable mentions, and just a really like like you said, I mean, you you summed it up so so well. It's very positive. Uh, George Lucas was very key on like it needs the the saga needs to end in a positive way, but the always like George Lucas always treated it like segments. Like okay, I get my I get Star Wars. So I'm going to make my one movie and it'll be the summation with a positive ending and I'll be able to do my uh, small hero's journey. Oh, right. I get to make I get to make a couple more. I can do my tri- I can do my trilogy. Okay, well that was episode 4. So let's do episode <laughs> 5. Uh, and then we'll do 6 and then I'll be able to tell this longer hero's journey. Okay, I'm going to go back and do 1 2 3 and so then la 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 length it up with that. But this was also this was the ability this was his first taste of no this is a this is a positive story this is like a, a good ending uh no matter what our heroes have won good has triumphed over evil and this is kind of one of the this is the one of the underlying messages in all of star wars uh and then you're able to kind of see that and that's why new hope is such a masterpiece is because it can stand alone yet it's still the first steps of this incredible journey that we all go on with star wars and so this is a really great way to end that uh and 
a, a really a, like a solid ending. One of the like Star Wars has a bunch of great endings, and this is definitely up there. And it's so interesting that traditionally the first installment of a Star Wars trilogy ends with a relatively happy ending, even if bad things happen in this movie. U ultimately, our heroes pull something off in the first movie, and traditionally in the second movie in the trilogy, it ends in much more dire straits. And I don't mm -hmm. want to uh, blow it in case you have it coming up a little bit later in your list. I don't know that you do, but I listened to all of the 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 scores in their full of that original trilogy today. And the closing music for Empire Strikes Back is so much more melancholy. It's not mm. heartbroken. It's not quite as... Uh, as desperate as, say, the end of Attack of the Clones, which is, you know, that's that's pretty much as as dark as it can look. And the last oh, Jedi, a wedding, the last Jedi for that matter. Well, sure, but like begun, the Clone War has like it's yeah, it's pretty absolutely. scary. Um, and uh, Empire Strikes Back doesn't quite have that. We've got this like hopeful lookout at at uh, through the window, but um, and Revenge of the Sith has the most dire ending of all. Absolutely, and I think that's kind of that one's a bit of a toss-up, the third installment of a trilogy, because that really depends well, on how we want to flow the 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 series. Exactly, and they already knew that this was flowing into more positive. This was not the ending. The ending is the end of Return of the Jedi, which smokes all the endings of all other Star Wars movies, um, in, in, including Empire, because Empire is not as good unless you get the ending you get in Return of the Jedi sort of thing. But like you said, the throne room theme at the end of A New Hope, it helps for that movie to be contained as one film. Mm. And and it's, it just a, it's a great feel. Yeah, it really, really is. Uh, so kind of on that note that we just mentioned of like super dire endings, uh, I'll go to my number five. And this has been the song that has been stuck in my head for months. Uh, and that would be Battle of the Heroes uh, from Anakin versus Obi-Wan and Revenge of the Sith. Ever since seeing the Rise of Skywalker um, fight scene, Rey and Kylo on the Death Star, rescored with Duel of the Fates and Battle of the Heroes, I just can't, like, but the, the crazy thing with that was, watching that, I was blown away. But the thing that blew me away the most was that I didn't leave more impacted by Duel of the Fates usage. I left far more impacted by the usage of Battle of the Heroes. Wow. And that was the those were the bars that I was humming. And those were the ones that, that's the song that I've used to to throw on to kind of pump you up when, it's, uh, when you need to kind of start a Star Wars playlist to, to get back into work a little bit. It's, it's just so incredibly epic. John Williams is given such a task of ending this incredible six-part saga at the time uh, on such a, a sad but powerful note with this incredible fight that does receive some criticism, but I've defended fairly immensely on this show in terms of explaining the criticism behind it and how synchronized it is and the logic um, between two brothers who know each other so well. But the scoring behind it all and the fact that Duel of the Fates kicks off the trilogy was such an amazing battle, but Battle of the Heroes uh, really kind of wraps it up in that same way. And, I mean, the prequels really dominates when it comes to those epic, sprawling, long fights um, that have such epic consequences behind them. Whereas the consequence behind fights in other cases aren't maybe always there and definitely aren't there in Attack of the Clones, for example. But Duel of the Fates and Revenge of the Sith, I mean, they're so powerful. And, I mean, I've mentioned certainly 
how important that uh, the end of the battle is, Anakin versus Obi-Wan. But it's because it gets heated up to that point with the the epic beats behind the background and the drums and the it, it's it's just it's such an exciting theme and it's been one that uh, I haven't been able to get out of my head for months. Nice. I, I mean, I, I wish that I could call it to mind in this moment. I'm going to, of course, insert little clips uh, in the... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you're, you're no London Symphony Orchestra, my brother. No, I really, really <laughs> am not. <laughs> I, I, I look forward to listening to that in full because, like, what a, what a sell job on that song to, to partner it with, of all things, Duel of the Fates and for it to actually shine a little brighter for you. That's... That's pretty yeah. special. And I guess because yeah. of the emotional entanglement of that song, what it means. Absolutely. And I mean, I will say that um, as, a, as a young fan of Star Wars, you and I probably uh, hit our peak fandom of as young fans between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Sure. Uh, that's when like Phantom Menace, because we had were so young having watched the original trilogy right leading up to that. Uh, and then it was like our entire start of our lives. We just got like inundated with Star Wars, which was amazing. Uh, and that's why Duel of the Fates was such a a powerful, memorable uh, part as being a kid and such an incredible, incredible theme. And it still is such an incredible part of that film. Uh, but it's just something over time I've been uh, surprised but, but pleased that Battle of the Heroes, um, like that particular fight, has actually kind of, uh, switched and become my favorite of the prequel era uh, because, like you said, although the the stakes are insanely high in both, um, the the stakes having watched the Clone Wars uh, definitely increase to another level um, when you watch Revenge of the Sith because you have dozens and dozens and dozens of new hours of content between these characters. For my number four, I am not only going to stick with the prequels. I'm going to stick with these uh, swan songs we keep celebrating. Uh, a piece of music called Augie's Great Municipal Band from the closing credits of The Phantom Menace. Another piece of music used to transition uh, into the end of a movie, uh, a celebratory end like we just mentioned. I, I think because uh, a certain other piece uh, of music from The Phantom Menace, which we've already discussed is, at length and we're probably going to discuss again later it tends to get all the glory when we spend so much time celebrating duel of the fates we we leave little left uh, little time left over to appreciate this incredibly uh, gleeful exhilarating piece of music it almost has like a disney quality to it like there's maybe mm -hmm. a, a parade at like the end of mulan and it kind of feels like we could and it's interesting like what becomes of the star wars ip that this was so many years before it was in fact a disney product i always liked the song yeah. uh this song in particular i came to love this song when somebody who knew more about music than me explained to me that the bass melody behind the main hmm. horns is actually a sped up version of the emperor's theme and switched to a major key and that is foreshadowing at its finest uh, a composer's often the unsung hero in movies that's definitely been the case for for john williams uh but john williams is storytelling his butt off here you have to mm -hmm. respect it and it's just a blast it's just great the cgi upon rewatch in this scene all the gungans does not look good but the music <laughs> but the uh the music's the music holds up yeah absolutely uh an honorable mention but really just an excellent excellent um theme uh I didn't know the name of it at all. What would you call it? it? Was Augie's something? So this Augie, his name is Agara. He is like the John Williams of the Gungans of Gungan City. He's the band leader who's playing oh. it through, and so it's called Augie's Great Municipal Band. It's the city band. Okay, cool. Yeah, 
All right, I didn't know that little tidbit. That's uh, that's really interesting. But yeah, that is such a fun ending theme. And also, now that's an ending that really, really hardcore mirrors the end of A New Hope. Definitely. Uh, like we were just talking about with the throne room scene. So it's interesting that you kind of have those two back to back on this. I know. No, it occurred to me. It was interesting. But it, 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 the songs have nothing to do with each other. You're right. Tonally, they both... None, they, whatsoever. They but... both st- stand to celebrate the singular triumph of this movie. But Augie's song and the throne room song... Uh, musically and structurally have nothing to do with each other they're just both jams they both feel really great um i also i think and just because of that palpatine tidbit um i think palpatine is kind of underserved for music in star wars i think that the emperor's theme is kind of lackluster and so for it to have found a new life in a in a more interesting way that foreshadows in a way you would never have known unless you knew and i guess you did mm-hmm. um you i mean you'd have to be some kind of genius to hear that to song know that for the one, first yeah. time and go oh that's that that's clearly alluding to the fact that senator palpatine's about to become emperor palpatine um, but they show him there and he no it's his chin that alludes to it. well sure there's that too <laughs> this is also where we see little annie with uh, a little jedi haircut for the first time it's awesome yeah yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think that's a, a great piece of music. I don't have a whole lot else to say about it, but it just, it feels good. Also kind of feels like my childhood, to be honest. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Um, can you, you mentioned about the emperor. Uh, it's just, it's ominous tones. Yeah. It's and you know what I'm kind of, yeah, and I'm kind of okay with that though. Uh, because the, the musical presence of the empire is the imperial march. Uh, it's very similar. It's usually linked to Vader, but it's the empire. And I feel like the emperor, he just, he sucks the life out of everything. Okay. There's kind of something, something about that that kind of works a little bit. Um, whereas like the lack of music in uh, Ren versus Ray uh, on the Death Star is unacceptable. The use of tones and oh, oh, oh stuff is, is works with emperor. With well, the what, emperor I, what I would say to that is, is that, um, the Imperial March might belong to the Empire in general, and of course he's the Emperor of the Empire, and so he he is owed that song as much as anybody, but it is a march, which means it's militaristic. And so mm-hmm. uh, Darth Vader is the ultimate soldier a- as a property of the Empire, and so it's it's silly to say that that song is anyone but Darth Vader's song. I, I love what you said about how um, the Emperor sucks the life out of everything. That's a, that's a great way for him to not be deserving of something more melodic. Plus, there's just the visual of it. Uh, his theme is hymnal, and he literally wears a robe like a monk. Like, he's an evil mm-hmm. monk. He's the ultimate evil monk. But he is a uh, a philosopher. Like, he's a believer in a faith, right? And so yeah, very much so. And so that kind of works that there's like a spirituality to his to his music. Yeah, they really like, and that's interesting with the Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker is probably the one. It's the movie that talks the most about the Sith themselves. Yes, I think. And I don't know if it necessarily like, like understands the Sith that well <laughs> to be talking about it as much as it does, but. It's one that, like, it's an interesting one because you do get to see how specifically obsessed with the hist- history of the Sith uh, and the tradition that Palpatine has and how it's kind of dictated uh, some of his behaviors similarly to the way that he's always resented the Jedi's use of their dogma and the fact that he's kind of just the same. I mean, episodes one and three both discuss the dark side pretty heavily. From yeah, the-, the dark side, true, but the, the Sith particular, like, and they're like, they're cultish behaviors and whatnot. But yeah, three definitely has some of that stuff, like the hand sort of moment. And 
Well, and um, and of course the the legend of Darth Plagueis the Wise. The I mean that's that's the most iconic discussing of what the Sith are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Darth Plagueis, uh, the theme that was used when Palpatine talked about him was used when we introduced Snoke. Further oh, right, yeah. potential referencing that it probably was supposed to be Plagueis. Um, I'm do I, I do start to I, I think that that's definitely the case was the original intention at least. Okay, uh, I guess it's your turn for number four. Yep. Uh, I'm going back to the original trilogy, uh, one that was used again, The Rise of Skywalker, quite perfectly, uh, and one that uh, kind of like you mentioned, I mentioned you mentioned a little bit before about kind of choosing a bit of pedestrian answers, but I mean, I think that's kind of what a little bit all these answers are. Uh, and so I'm going with Yoda's theme. moment of raising the x-wing from the swamp and when luke does it again on octo uh just really um like the 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 quote of luminous beings are we there's just something illuminating about the song there's something wise and wonderful um and just full of wonderment uh it's a it's a real and like i can't believe it that's why you fail uh it's really an exceptional moment and ultimately empire being my favorite of the star wars movies yoda being my favorite character and that being probably my favorite chunk in terms of if you got to pick a place with characters on a planet until they leave that being like dagobah is such an interesting sequence uh and yoda not wanting luke to leave but giving him the x-wing to do so so that it's still his choice despite like Anakin following the exact same path years prior hmm. uh, and doing these same like like decisions based on compassion for the people that he loves, Yoda is still able to kind of use the, use the force and, and allow uh, his student to potentially make the mistake, but ultimately uh, a mistake that doesn't end up in a bad way. But uh, it just it, it shows um, just the power of Yoda and the wisdom that he has uh, in allowing Luke to make uh, a decision that he doesn't agree with. And even they arguing that he does with the Obi-Wan after and just kind of the back and forth. The, no, there is another. And it's, it, it's just it's such an incredible musical theme. Uh, and I do have um, two alarm clocks um, <laughs> in case I sleep through my first one. Right. And, and Yoda's theme is my second alarm clock. Sure. Why would they be the same? That would be insane. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, if you felt, if you slept through it the first time, you're gonna, you need something different. Uh, <laughs> and so it. Yoda's, Yoda's theme is also another wonderful way to wake up. In the morning. Yeah. This song just, uh, it features one of the great reveals, you know, as the, mm. the horns get louder as the X-wing gets mm. higher. And it just all at once we understand what's happening here and what we need to strive towards. And um, I, I think that I- at least what's burned into my brain is really just those horns getting louder. I don't know that I can hear your like your full Yoda theme. I suspect probably it's gentle and, and, and quiet. Yeah, it's gentle. The horns, it's chimey. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's very warm, but it's, it's just it, like, and I, like, I know this seems weird, but it's like, it's filled with knowledge uh, it just it feels very enlightening. It, it's it's it shows that there's, um, well, it shows that there's more behind the the man in in Yoda's case, but also that there's just there's so much to learn. In the case of Luke, 
um, and it's kind of unfolding what the story is yet to do. It's it it, it also I, I do so I, I link it so much with the with the line of um, I I can't believe it, and that's why you fail. Yeah. Um, because I it just it feels like the great representation of. Uh, so many of Yoda's quotes, uh, it just, it's the theme for everything he says and everything he does. It's just so incredibly on point. It's amazing how John Williams does that. He's able to completely encapsulate a character in the music that he's chosen for them uh, and the way that he was able to kind of recreate that with Daisy Ridley and Ray uh, in the sequels uh, and then kind of earlier on with some of those characters and then also wanting to go back and do it for Han Solo in Solo so that he kind of hit on all those main characters and was able to kind of bring their themes to life. But I think um, more than anyone's particular theme, I think this one captures the character better than anything. Okay, well, there's, there's no better... Um, Maybe may equal to another one. There's there's no better way to transition into my number three, which is indeed Ray's theme, uh, as first heard in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Actually, it first appears in the sequence called The Scavenger, in which Ray is introduced on Jakku... Again, this song is proof that John Williams, for his entire existence, is completely incapable and unwilling of phoning in his Star Wars scores. This guy is like in his late 70s. I don't know. Maybe he's 80 by the time he's asked to create a brand new sonic palette for this whole new generation of Star Wars characters. And with Ray's theme, he writes another masterpiece. He would have been in like, his 80s, I think. I, well, he's 88 now. So, yeah, probably yeah. just around that. And like he writes another one of the great songs he's ever written for a movie. It is playful. It's curious. It's wondrous. It's Curious. magic. Magic. It's kind of got like a. Mm. It's got a bit of that Harry Potter uh, milieu in which he's definitely he's dabbled. Um, I, I have an observation, which is just a theory, but uh, the instrumental arrangement I think is brilliant. It, it begins that main riff uh, that that the song is best known for uh, with just a gentle whistle. The bells. Yeah, it's just bells, and then it goes to a whistle. Um, and then it moves on to some louder pipes and, and ultimately these uh, increasingly robust horns. And I think that kind of stands to, to illustrate the gradual growth of Ray's power over time. The song like gets so oh, much stronger yeah. as it goes. Um, I, I think with the exception uh, of Imperial March and, and you would you would say Yoda's theme as well. Um, very few other Star Wars themes that are better be, better suited for a single character. I think it feels very much like that character who was nobody until he wrote that song. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, Ray, that that was the one that 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 hurt the most. It was number seven. It, it just like I could, I, 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 it was that and Anakin's theme. I was pretty confident you'd put Ray's theme on there. Yeah. I was pretty fucking confident you wouldn't put Anakin's theme on there. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, and uh, but I also at the end of the day, I listen to Anakin's theme every day. But Ray's theme is an absolute bloody masterpiece. Yes, uh, curiosity, magical. Those are such accurate descriptions of it. Uh, it's such a heartwarming introduction to this character that gets so much shit for no good reason. Uh, it, like is such an endearing, likable character that has faults uh, and isn't perfect, but you're immediately um, kind of drawn to because of the fact that she's fighting for herself. She's on her own. She gets screwed by on plot in the sense that like, he's just ripping her off. She frees BB-8, even though she's annoyed by him. Um, but she's just like 
fuck Tito. This guy's a dick. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's like, it, it, the song is so important to that entire sequence in bringing back Star Wars. This is the main character in bringing back Star Wars. You need to succeed on that. And this song is such a beautiful introduction for it, especially seeing as Ray's introduced after Poe, Finn, and Kylo. Very true. So she's introduced last. She's not introduced with her face, introduced the mask like the rest of them. Um, but this song introduces us. This is one of the first things that we we see of her, certainly before her face, and that's that's pretty incredible right there. Abs- absolutely. And I think they've also made a really wise choice in not making this a particularly melancholy song. There's a lot of melancholy in the character of Ray. Of course, there's a lot of... Yep. She has her darkness. Um, but the song... It, it, Isn't. It, it demonstrates that she's alone without making her seem lonely in, in a special way. It's almost like she's a child who has uh, an ability to entertain herself, which is I don't I don't mean which to is true. I don't mean to infantilize Ray. I just mean like it's it it very clearly illustrates that as alone as she is here, she's actually kind of got her shit together here on Jakku, yep. and I and I it's it's both like youthful and sophisticated, and that's what makes it great. Yeah, she lives in a an ATAT that she's converted into like a little apartment for herself. She's got like a little uh, X-wing uh, action figure yeah. and a re- and a rebel pilot helmet. Like she is a kid. Yep, that's kind of what it's it's indicating. She's she's a kid dreaming of space, but at the same time hoping that people are going to come back from space so that she can finally leave and be okay with it and be, leave with her family. But it's similar to Luke in that same way, but willing to stay for people to return which is kind of the opposite in that regard that's true um uh, whereas she's still trying to go back throughout the movie and luke in a new hope is like so fucking stoked that he gets to leave tatooine but at the same time there's nothing for him there now he was thrilled to leave it when his uncle and aunt were alive and then they died and so he's like he's got no time for that place ray is a little Uh, more a little more grown up than luke exactly that's kind of the point though like you just said she's uh, experienced a lot more hardship on her own. She's uh, become more sophisticated and built her own little apartment out of these things. But at the same time, she also hasn't had the opportunity to really mature because she's kind of been um, just stuck doing the same thing since the age of five. And, you know, as long as we're talking about this, it's worth mentioning that they make an effort to to demonstrate that that's still in her when she sleds down the dune at the end of rise of skywalker they show like here she's in the sand again and yeah she's still like she's still fun that's that's a really good point that is a really good point that she does that again yeah um and that it's it's still in her uh and then the same positivity with the yellow lightsabers really kind of uh embraced there which is nice uh yet it's also such a crude and like badass looking saber at the same time (laughs) she's a scavenger yeah it, it really works uh and yeah i think uh, and that's the thing. Like, I, I have my issues with with um, the rise of Skywalker, uh, and I definitely don't like her. She doesn't need to be a Palpatine, but like once again, my issues aren't with Ray or Kylo. Like, it's it's like Ray and Kylo are excellent characters, and Ray is uh, we we're pretty damn lucky we got a main character in Star Wars as good as Ray. I think I entirely agree. Uh, your turn for number three. Uh, now my top three are going to be many, many people's top three. Sure. It's just depend. It depends on the order. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's interesting how we haven't had any double ups yet. And I will, I, I will be shocked if there's not at least one in this from here, but, um, number three is, is debatably the most iconic, maybe not, 
Um, but that would be the force theme, Binary Sunset. Beautiful. Um, Luke on Tatooine. It is, it's the uh, epitome of Star Wars. It is uh, what kicks off our hero's journey. It's what uh, every child is able to immediately relate to when first watching that movie and kind of putting yourself in, in Luke's shoes. Um, even if you don't necessarily relate to anything about Luke, it's something that uh, it immediately kind of plants you in reality. But at the same time, it's so unnatural because there's two sons and it's like this random desert planet, but yet it's still a sunset and it's still just a, a 19 year old kid. Uh, he's just still thinking about the future, um, but he has no idea what he's about to go on. And then the reuse of the binary sunset and the force theme so frequently, um, it, it just has so much power because every time you hear it, it goes back to that moment. Uh, and then the same way with using it when Luke passes away looking out at the binary sunset on Octo uh, is absolutely beautiful, and I absolutely adore the use again. Uh, it was initially going to be Obi-Wan's theme, but because Obi-Wan was a representation of the Force in A New Hope, uh, and it was such a good theme, George Lucas was like, no, let's use this more. Let's be able to like get a little bit more action out of this one. Let's make this the Force theme. What a good choice. Hell yes, because it changed everything yeah. in, in the saga. That is the... That is the moment you know that hero triumph is going to come. That is the the turning moment in characters. That is the moment in which uh, a massive galactic um, choice and decision, um, selfishness versus selflessness, it is the epitome. It all draws back to that, whether it's the start of the character's journey or the moment in which they're uh, embracing something, it is, uh, it's such an Im important moment. And anytime you hear it in any Star Wars movie, you know some cool shit is going to happen. Yes, but unlike Ray's theme, it does have a sadness to it, doesn't it? And I guess that's important. Star Wars isn't all happy. No, of course not. And, and This and, is right before Luke's aunt and uncle are about to die. Right, but it does stand to represent his, mm. his hope, I guess. It's in a movie called he, The New Hope. It's right to say, yeah. exactly. It, at the end of the day... Um, the reason you need hope is when times are tough. It's Star Wars. Um, and this song, this song could very well be called A New Hope. This song is hope. Uh, and it very much strikes that chord. And I, I, you don't associate it with Luke Skywalker necessarily, but it's still kind of his. I do. But I, I do, but at the same time, like, you can. every character can use it. Like, it's not weird to see like any character embracing the Force use the Force theme, but right. at the same time, it is still that first moment of Luke Skywalker on Tatooine um, and then to the end of his life. And, of course, Luke is our introduction to Star Wars, so, of course, we associate that with everything universally. I was embarrassingly old before I understood that Tatooine had two suns and because they're different colors in that mm. shot. Like, one is much deeper red than the other one, and I think... So it I just, just looks like the moon's rising at the same time? I thought maybe it was, like, yeah, the moon, or it was, or maybe it was just, like, a weird, like, reflection. I was stupid. I was a kid, and so I was just like, I don't know what that is, but I it didn't occur to I me that know. there were two suns, and I, I don't imagine I heard the term binary sunset until I was much older. No, but that is one that, uh, I mean, I don't know when I heard that. It probably wasn't, it was probably after the age of 12. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's often what the song is called as well, but it is the force theme. 
Uh, and that is one of the most uh, exceptional moments in Star Wars. Uh, one of the most Star Warsy moments in Star Wars. Ready for my number two? Absolutely. I have, a, I have a hunch as to what it is, and that may mean our number ones are the same. I don't think our number ones are the same. Then they're not. Uh, that they're not. Um, but I, I'm a little surprised if this isn't on your list, except for that we've we've discussed it so much already. I mean, this is really not um, a surprising choice to anyone, especially someone uh, of my generation. Uh, Duel of the Fates, The Phantom Menace. It is owed all mm-hmm. the credit it gets. It's incredible. There are endless reasons to celebrate this uh, this piece of music, like from a technical achievement, like intricate melodies, this graceful build to the, the chaos that ensues within this, this sequence. And then the spiritual achievement of this song, it has this energy that feels like the very brink of life and death and heaven and earth. It's kind of like if God himself was a song and he was pissed. <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it yeah it's like a it's like a thunderstorm of a song that's that's even better and, and, and then there's the nostalgic factor i was eight years old mm-hmm. duel of the fates uh electrified me it, it, it blew my mind uh you it, it during every battle with a lightsaber with a toy yes. lightsaber absolutely and, and of course it's partnered with with the visuals the most mesmerizing lightsaber uh, action we'd ever seen at this point and then also this symbolic premise uh that we had to be much older and wiser to understand but it permeates through the next eight films how duel of the fates goes on to inform the skywalker saga it's some of the mm. most treasured star wars cargo ever i actually think and 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 brace yourself for a grand statement i think this is the closest thing to a perfect piece of music that has been created in my lifetime it's flawless. It is. It is. And I, I, I don't know. John Williams is the kind of person who would be the one to produce that. So I, 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 it's not that ridiculous of a statement. It is. This is a, like symphony music that made the billboards. Like yeah. it made much music. It, like the, there's a music video for it. Like it, it has like the badass. Like you can just show the part of the movie with the doors opening and Maul's double bladed saber. It ends with Qui-Gon's death. It is like it has everything. It is so incredibly epic. The final trailer for The Rise of Skywalker in the last final shots, like in beat with the Emperor's lightning. It's just like, oh, are you kidding me? Come on. Like, that's what gets you so hyped. And it's it's such a and it was such a shame to not have it used again um, with a fight in in The Rise of Skywalker. They knew Um, they had it at, at their disposal. I don't know why they would just put it in the trailer. Well, that would be because uh, J.J. does not want to not have it be his movie, Arms Crossed, Huff, Huff. Colin Trevorrow was going to call it Duel of the Fates. Right. So I don't want anything to do with Duel of the Fates. That is the the thing that bugs me the most about it. It's clearly J.J. and and Ryan's um, and Kathleen's uh, ability to give the thumbs up to, you're an artist, you do you without any discussion to anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, you're an artist. You do you within George Lucas' sandbox, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like dual. Of, it's it's such an epic, but it's at the same time it's such an uh, it's it diverges from what a lot of the other themes are in Star Wars. It it's has vocals. Really, 
But absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and it just it's it steps it up in such a different way, but not one that anybody had any issues with. People were so angry with the, how different the Phantom Menace was, but they sure as shit were not angry about the usage of totally different music because it was just such so damn Star Warsy still. Yeah. It was incredible. I know, and, and and maybe you're noticing a theme in my list here that just about everything seems to come from the first installment of a trilogy. It's just almost like mm. John Williams comes at these new trilogies just locked and loaded with so much inspiration. Well, uh, that makes sense. Sure, it does. Yeah, but he like he, yeah. he he comes at it. Maybe he's been working on. Maybe he had been working on Duel of the Fates for for ten years and was looking for the right place to put it, mm-hmm. and he was able to kind of appropriate it for Star Wars. Like I imagine like Battle of the Heroes, for example, that was something he probably did work on for a few years because my guess is when Hayden Christensen joined the picture, it had the ability to be like, oh, here's this great new theme. George is like, okay, save it for the next one. And, but like <laughs> at this, like it, this is one of those rare instances because you have all these influx of characters and it gives such inspiration to a guy like John Williams. And you're right. You're absolutely right. The, that entry point to uh, like the first movie of each trilogy introduces the most incredible music it does uh, yeah. there may there may be like other maybe movies you choose to be a better scored film because they use those like uh themes that were introduced in the first movie in their trilogy really really well but it's because they were introduced in that first movie and so that's i, I definitely agree with that that's incredible yeah. so are you zagging you're you're not going to use this in your top six uh i am not Wow, it, it is eight. Hot so take. when I said when I said I had eight that like I had eleven, but eight in particular, um, I I didn't like I really wanted it on there. I yeah. really wanted it on there, um, but it it, it it didn't come ahead of Ray's theme and, and it didn't come ahead of Battle of the Heroes or Anakin. And it, it it was so crazy how um just how many amazing themes there are that it was like you could flip a coin and any of these would be top of the list sort of thing well then while we're still on the subject let me just like run down some of the etymology some of the the libretta of of uh duel of the fates do you know anything about the origins of the vocals that exist in this song i may have heard something about the tell me and i'll see if i remember it so they took the words from a medieval welsh poem called cadgado which means it translates to never heard of this the battle of the trees so the hmm. the lyrics are just very repetitive. Koramata, Koramata. Hmm. And so it's basically that over and over again, but they translate to under the tongue root, a fight most dread and another raging be- behind in the head. And so this is actually very applicable to Duel of the oh, Fates. Wow. I'm talking about like actually like a, a mano a mano face off, like a physical battle, but then also this a like, mental war, this internal war, this strife, which is so interesting for Star Wars in general. And then this movie for in particular, yes, and Duel, Duel of the Fates, Fates being like it, it being his fate as well. And then that element being the fact that it is a battle within his mind that occurs after this. No, that's incredible. And that, and that does actually go to show you the elements. And, and that's the thing. Um, the best, if we were doing a best, not a, a favorite top sort of thing. Yeah. I think Duel of the Fates probably comes in at first. Just from like a technical standpoint, the achievement yeah, of it. I, yeah. I bet you if you ask John Williams, I bet you he would say it's his favorite. I don't, I, I just, just, I, I just thrown it out there. Maybe Ray's theme because, or Binary Sunset, but of his Star Wars themes, it just seems like it's so exceptionally composed. And like you mentioned, it's, it's one of the best pieces of music in, in 
in the decades. world. Decades. <laughs> yeah. No, that's how I feel. I will say, like, composers are strange people. Like, like Billy Joel, his favorite Billy Joel song is And So It Goes. So I like, I that's don't know. That's weird. It is very weird. So I don't know if John Williams, he might pick some song that nobody else would pick because he knows these songs more intimately than we do. But, I mean, mm. he can't deny it's it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, so you're number so two. We are either, yeah, I'll be curious. We may have a, I'm, I'm really curious to know because we're having minimal, minimal overlap here. And that is weird. Fantastic. It's great, but yeah. it, I'm, I'm really surprised by it. Uh, my number two is um, maybe, uh, no, it's, it's, it's probably the most beautiful piece of music I've ever heard. It's just, it's beautiful. And when I said um, before that Yoda's theme was most representative of character, I mean, this is beautiful, and so it's not really hard to stray from that, but that would be Princess Leia's theme. Oh, this is my number uh, one. Okay, that that doesn't surprise me there. Yeah. Um, and um, we can talk about it in full now because the only one after that I'll have to say is is my number one. But it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. It is perfect. It is so beautiful. Um, it's it's just so positive, and it's uh, it's the root of the Han and Leia theme, which I have a ten here because it's beautiful in its own right, but. The Leia's theme is 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 really just it's it's so melodical and it's so Star Warsy, but at the same time, it's so linked with this character, but it's vulnerable at the same time. Like I don't really know how to describe it, but it's just, it's just beautiful. That's really all there is to say. It's it's soft and it's beautiful. Well, it's another it's another example of John Williams performing this like emotional surgery on us without even realizing yeah. that it's happening. Like he's attaching us to these characters and, and, and most prominently Leia um, through these like beautiful works of, of art um, that represent the spirit of the character. And, and like I said about Ray's theme, like Leia's theme feels just like its subject. It feels very much mm -hmm. like her, but what's more, it feels like the, the titular hope of that movie in which she, she first appears. Um, it's got like a ballet quality. I think this is, this mm -hmm. is my interpretation of it. it. It's got a bit of a ballet quality, but also has this great range. Like it features uh motifs reminiscent of both the nutcracker and Jesus Christ superstar. So I definitely, I definitely can hear the nutcracker. That's and, interesting. And they're so different. Like, that that's Leia, by the way. She's the Nutcracker and Jesus Christ superstar. She is the girl who needs, <laughs> she is the girl who needs to be saved, and she's also the savior herself. Yeah, Star Wars across the board does not work in the same way without this piece of music. It is far too fundamental, um, and and what makes it kind of interesting um, from like a from like a filmic standpoint is many people could not hum it for you. No, um, they, if you heard, if they heard, okay, like hum me Leia's Leia song, they would struggle with that. But then they hear it, and then they're they're of course, oh yeah, that's one of my favorites. And I guess it's probably in part the the choice of instruments. It's so it's such a stringy song. Yep. Um, and the strings are just it, 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 that it, um, it, it the melody just kind of carries you. It's so soft and warm, and, and it's such interesting. It, it isn't the easiest one to hum. Similarly to to Yoda's, I would say as well. Yep. Uh, and these th these themes are very are very similar, and um, I think melodically part of the reason as to why I love them so much. Um, and I had these ones, my two, three, four were like 
I don't know. I think I changed them three or four times. Right. They're probably each, each in each spot multiple times. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, it's absolutely such a beautiful, beautiful theme. Uh, and it's used uh, a few times, but every time it's used, it's used so perfectly. Um, same with Leia. And, uh, well, and, so, and the first time we hear it used is right after like a lot of craziness happens in, in a new hope. Like we see, mm -hmm. we see like fascist Darth Vader, like march down that aisle. And like, it's, it's very clear. Like this is not really the galaxy you want to be in right now, but then we see Leia and she's hiding too, but you know, you're safe because this music is playing and it's, it's, it's delightful. Similarly to Ray's again, like it's, it's just, this is a, this is a strong character who's also youthful and, and hopeful. Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm kind of repeating a lot of the same adjectives here, but uh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we're both in a similar case here. There's so much we, we would love to say about this, but there's not a whole lot that you need to say about it. It says it for itself, kind of. Hey, that's, that's the, great way to, the greatest way to describe it. You might as well uh, give us your number one, then, your favorite piece of Star Wars music. Well, I think it's really cool that we only had one overlap. I think that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, my number one... Um, when I really thought about it, um, and I, and I put it in the number one spot, I, I, I decided there was no way I was going to take it away from there. Um, and when I thought about, um, instances where the music has made the most impact and ultimately I love star Wars for star Wars and the music is part of star Wars. And so the thing that has the most impact on star, the way that the music plays truly the most uh, epic role um, is the way it gets you excited. Yeah. Nothing beats a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Good for you. Black screen. way that my skin tingles and I get like giddy and uh, I look over and grin at you because it's this new Star Wars movie yeah. and it's just it's one of the best feelings in the world uh, it's so incredibly exciting John Williams recently uh, described it as one of the most overproduced pieces of music he's ever done uh, uh, he loves he still loves it but it's <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter no because this is the most epic uh, story saga ever told and so if you're going to provide something overproduced to the most epic proportion to kick off every chapter, you damn well have the right to do so. And this is the guy who did the Donna, 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 Donna. Yeah. He, did, he did like the two note Jaws. Yep. And, but truly, when you think of John Williams, when you think of Star Wars, no piece rises above anything. Like the Imperial March cantina band nope. the force theme nope. they're all synonymous with star wars but nothing takes the cake like the opening crawl uh and the way that it ties in again being kind of reversed in the final theme and the way that you did a great job by picking a couple songs that do a do a great job of bleeding into that final theme and then kind of reversing into this theme um and the fact that star wars is able to do that and do these beautiful bookends for every chapter um, it's, it, it just gets me so excited and, uh, it makes, it, it just, it, it separates Star Wars from everything by such a, 
a, a massive, massive yardstick um, because of the way it gets you so hyped at the beginning. Well, a couple of things I want to say to that. First of all, congratulations on having the maturity to pick this as your number one, because I think so many of us, probably including myself, would be like, well, I can't put the main titles as my favorite Star Wars song. But that's fucking stupid. It It is amazing. It's like... It's so awesome. And what you describe about seeing those blue letters and then hearing that that opening... I don't know if you call it a chord or whatever it is, but, and then we look at each other and we can't believe we finally made it. Like mm. that is the most important moment you can have in the movie theater, I think. And, mm -hmm. and what is the, what is the most evergreen theme of Star Wars? It's hope. Here oh, we've yeah. made it. And I hope so much for this movie we're about to watch while we listen to this song again for the eighth time, the ninth time, the 10th time. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. It is I mean, it's it's the, the the great title theme in film history. It's Star Wars. Yep. Yeah, and like it's been Star. It's the first thing we got in Star Wars, uh, aside from the 20th Century Fox. Um, but and it's the it's what we get at the end of Star Wars every time. And so, do you have any memory of when you first learned to like the crawl? Because let's call a spade a spade. When we we're five years old, we're like, ah, oh, words flying through space. Oh, I can't, I couldn't read that fast. No, God, I, oh, I it annoyed me because I couldn't read it so it, at all. And I would like, okay, I got some of that this time, and like I pick up new things because I could maybe get like maybe a sentence of the three <laughs> read in time. Well, that's the thing is it, it feels so endless. I don't remember. It, it feels like a friggin' chapter book when you're a kid, but it's literally three sentences. And mm. so I just kind of resented it. And I wouldn't have necessarily always understood everything they were saying anyway. But I don't mm. remember the exact moment where I learned to be like, oh, this is this is the most amazing usage of, of exposition I've ever seen. Like more movies should do this. But on the other hand, mm -hmm. no, they shouldn't. This belongs to Star Wars. Yes, it belongs to Star Wars. And there's there was an element, I think, that um, The Force Awakens, um, not because, like, not because, like, but The Force Awakens does have one of, if not the best crawls in Star Wars. Yeah. So that's great. It was also the return of Star Wars after we thought that there was no chance of that happening. Right. And the excitement that brought back with The Force Awakens was incredible. And because that movie was incredible um, and the excitement that I remember, like I don't remember uh, the excitement that I had from the opening crawl while watching Revenge of the Sith, it's opening day. No. We watched all the Star Wars their opening day, I think. Oh, within the first day or, or two. I know Dad took us out of school one day so that we could watch Revenge of the Sith. I remember uh, on like yeah. a Friday after Friday afternoon or something, so yeah. that we didn't have to go with the rowdy people in the evening or something. <laughs> uh, but it was in it, like this was one. This was the first time I I can remember experiencing that uh, introduction to the music, and then the crawl, and then the pure appreciation for viewing it for the first time as well. And so that was something that I have tremendous respect and just love to to draw back on um but yeah it was probably only a few years before that that i learned to, to really appreciate the crawl um because i mean just i didn't i didn't watch star wars as relentlessly between um revenge of the sith and uh force awakens opening okay well you wanted to touch on just very quickly a few other uh pieces of music that deserve a little recognition most, well i didn't most, ex most of mine i didn't expect of, yeah most of mine i didn't expect covered. there to be so much so 
such divergence. I expected there to be a lot more crossover. So we diversified big time. Yeah, I know one of the same. I was expecting three or four of the same. You know, what? I have two pieces that I I want to I want to call upon. This movie sure. does this movie does not get a lot of celebration, but it's it's a song from Attack of the Clones called Across the Stars. And yeah, and that was th- on one of mine. This love story. This love story is flawed, but that's an amazing piece of music. It's gorgeous. Yes, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I completely agree, uh, and it's it's used really well. Um, yeah, there's there's the, uh, across the stars is exceptional uh, from the prequel trilogy. There's also um, uh, Anakin's betrayal on the Jedi Temple. Oh yeah, um, and then like the opening drums of Revenge of the Sith. The doom, doom. It's just like those are some really great uh, musical moments as well. Um, Jedi steps. Uh, is the ending theme for The Force Awakens. Yeah. And it leads into the final theme as well. But the, the it's her like scaling Octo to go see Luke Skywalker. That's an epic, sorrowful, there's a story behind this song. And that's that's a really good one. For all we've talked about the original trilogy, we actually haven't talked about um, some of the most interesting settings of Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. We haven't talked about Cloud City. We haven't talked about Jabba's Palace. Um, and I, I do think there's, there's a song in, uh, there's a piece of music in Empire Strikes Back called Departure of Boba Fett, which is really good for evoking just in general the feelings of Empire Strikes Back, Cloud City, Lando's Palace. Like mm. it, there, there's Asteroid good... Asteroid Field is good for that one as well. Yeah, just like really good, like kind of bring me specifically to some great moments in Star Wars um, songs. Mm-hmm. And also the Battle on Hoth. I don't know if, what the name of the song is, but like there's... Yeah. Dry. it's um just in general they're not they're not top six material but there's some like very essential star warsy kind of vibes to those songs definitely like i could see for example somebody having across the stars in their top six but me too like asteroid field would be an odd one for for instance uh you checked a, a lot of them off uh the other ones would be uh, kylo ren's theme that oh, okay. one's really good too okay uh it, it's used throughout like a lot of the Star Wars movies, just dark side, but there's a key theme of it that is used and you would recognize it. Um, it's uh, like you recognize the, the, the key sample of it and, it and it's very haunting and, and menacing. Uh, and then the other two I'd like to give shout outs to would be the Clone Wars theme and then the Mandalorian theme. Those are both absolutely exceptional. For sure. Uh, Clone Wars being, uh, I heard it described this way recently on a podcast and I thought it was funny. It's almost like when you first listen to it, it's like, did Star Wars not get the rights to their own music? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's it's Star Wars, but it's not quite. Right. But then you just grow to realize, oh, okay, it's just a part of Star Wars and that it's just playing off those similar notes. And then those other themes are used elsewhere in Clone Wars. It's not forgetting them. It's saying, no, oh, this is the show's theme. Um, and then you really start to appreciate it because it is a wonderful homage to that main theme. And then Mandalorian, Mandalorian is almost as much of an homage to Rocky as it is to Star Wars, but who cares? It fits perfectly with that character, and is I listen to that one a lot too. That one's a great like. I can't that's a, believe so good. I can't believe how much they they elected to divert from the traditional mm. uh, sonic quality of Star Wars with Mandalorian and pulled it off like extraordinarily well. Uh, there's Ludwig Göransson. He's like kind of a little savant. He just looks like young. Oh, yeah. He's probably older than he looks, but like he... He's the same age as Donald Glover and Brian Coogler. Oh, okay. Those those are his two buddies. He looks like he could be 27. Like he's... he's Anyway, he, he did an amazing job and it sounds like no other Star Wars, but also it looks like no other Star Wars. So it's great yeah. that they were, they were wise enough to make that choice. 
Um, and and Michael Giacchino did a really great job of evoking the the sonic template of Star Wars without doing anything too um, too yeah. dramatic or artful of his own. That's okay. He, 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 I also he played with. If I'm the not lines. mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, he had a month. Oh well, there you which go. Which is fucked. Yeah, yeah. Or like he, or like a two months. Like yeah, whatever it was, it was a stupid minimal amount of time to do it. Uh, yeah. And the only one other one I mentioned is one that we've mentioned already, but just didn't make either of our lists. But is I have it at nine on mine after dual debates, and is is one on probably most people's list. Imperial so March. Be the Imperial March. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that's a shocker that didn't make either of ours, but is sensational and so badass and. Uh, is I actually believe uh, as much as uh, the main theme is m more Star Wars, I do believe the Imperial March is a more well-known theme. Probably, it probably is, and this is the one I had in mind when I said earlier that some songs you leave off your list and you kind of feel like an idiot. You're kind of like, well, yeah, who am, I, who am I kidding? Like, this well, I had Duel of the Fates and Imperial March off my list. <laughs> yeah. that's why I had to have a top ten to show you that I wasn't. Like just actively forgetting. <laughs> That's okay. We're picking our favorites here, and we invite everyone yeah. else to do that as well. You can tweet us at recorder six six or email recorder six six podcast at gmail .com. Once again, want to thank uh, at Johnny Woodward twelve on Twitter for coming up with the suggestion. It was frankly uh, the most challenging top six list we've done so far, but it was a lot of fun to get to expose ourselves to that music while uh, going through the motions of a work day. So that was a, a great opportunity. Yes, absolutely. So we're going to check back in with a little never-ending saga. I forget exactly where we were when we left off last time, but we're kind of just trying to group our thoughts together and, and discuss what is an essential ingredient for a potential episode 10 were they to eventually uh, get their acting gear and put that together at Lucasfilm. And um, I, th I think that has to be a discussion had in the boardroom or between the writers when they get together to write a new Star Wars movie? Like, what are we going to be fools to exclude from this movie? Um, mm -hmm. And it's something that that never sat right with me from the first viewing of Force Awakens and then it, I never felt satisfied in the entire sequel trilogy is uh, the lack of familiar planets. And so mm -hmm. um, do you want to discuss um, how planets ought to be handled in... Um, in episode 10 we've talked a little bit about how it'd be neat if they involved the huts in some way i don't know if that involves tatooine i think tatooine uh is probably indelible with the skywalker saga and, i think it kind of has to be yeah i mean it's interesting if you go back and if you do um like if you use those sabers to kind of reignite the saga then boom there's an easy entry point yeah or you go back to the entry point of okay we're going with consistency of uh our, our desert popper um, and so there's an easy way to connect it there. Uh, if you want to continue it on with, uh, like children of Ray, then I don't know. It's an interesting one. You want to go to Tatooine, but how do you do it? The huts is probably a pretty logical way to do it because it, I think it'd be a good thing to bring in. You don't need to have the huts on Tatooine, but, uh, it certainly, certainly wouldn't be a bad thing by any means. Uh, you can go with, uh, like, a descendant of Jabba or a family member of Jabba or just another hut entirely. Uh, interestingly, I learned, uh, and this is, uh, I, I'd mentioned it before Jabba's, uh, I guess brother or something, uh, zero, the hut, uh, it was a, a character who was, who was referenced and it was in the clone wars, uh, in a few arcs and was a really annoying character. I never liked whatsoever. Uh, it was one of the main characters in the clone wars movie. Why I didn't like that as well. Right. Um, but I found out, um, uh, through the, I was listening to a podcast and they, uh, they mentioned ignorance on this as well and realized it later on. 
he's Truman Capote. Oh. Um, I know. I didn't realize that either. But now that I think of it, I'm like, okay, I totally get the inspiration and everything about the character now. But why? I don't know. I don't know at all. <laughs> uh, and I still think that's weird. I, I, but it was something where I was like, this was the one of the weirdest, like, just weirdest characters in Star Wars. Uh, and I learned, I heard it on a podcast today that the character is based on, and it's, it's so clearly based on Truman Capote. And so just imagine a hut based on Truman Capote. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, that that's, so there's uh, certainly a broad range of, uh, of huts that you can do, but the huts are interesting, uh, the way that their cartels certainly work. Uh, you want to have, you probably want to have Naboo in it again. Right? Oh yeah. I've missed Naboo terribly. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and like other places in the prequels, you need Coruscant from a political perspective. It doesn't make sense. Those core worlds matter. Um, it'll be interesting if they did like other core worlds though. Like well, sure. there's more core worlds than just Coruscant. And I know that they did like, um, um, ah, what was it called? Um, that's an interesting observation. There's an awful lot of like completely undeveloped planets in the galaxy. And moons yeah. and stuff, but like yeah, obviously but things... it's a big galaxy, and we'll we'll discover more planets along the way. But like we probably should like determine where the other civilizations are. You know, it'd be nice if we went to Dantooine. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's remote, discreet. We can have it, the logic behind that, but uh, it wouldn't be like if you blew it up, it wouldn't be enough of a demonstration, certainly. Uh, <laughs> but like an, another planet that like from from mention and not mentioned in, and or not in the in the films, I do think Mortis would be a, is a very interesting and logical way to uh, integrate the Skywalker saga and balancing the Force uh, and a planet that you can build a lot of plot line around. Do they ever go to Alderaan in Clone Wars or Rebels? They must. Yes, I really feel deprived from never having seen Alderaan too. You know, at least we, we see it briefly in Revenge of the Sith, the briefest. Um, but yeah, that's a, an interesting planet. I've, I've read a lot about Alderaan because uh, of a couple of books uh, with Leia as the main character. Uh, and that's been really interesting uh, to kind of learn about the culture there. And it's such a, a place of pacifism. Um, but that would certainly be uh, if we ever did a, I guess, a, like a High Republic movie or something that goes back. There's no reason to not put Alderaan in it then. You can have something go a thousand years back and like it can be a planet with you, you don't worry about it because no one you, you're not going to meet anyone who's going to die. I mean, their grandchildren will or they're like, a thousand years. Great, 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 great. But um, there's no reason you can't do that if you go back in time in Star Wars. So that's well, interesting. Well, maybe, though, the uh, Alderaan before it's in fact decimated is kind of boring from a conflict standpoint if they're so I, passive. It is. Yeah, I absolutely think it, it would be. Um, and you, you can do interesting things. Oh, oh, Colin. We can get Alderaan in the Cassian series. Oh, great. Probably will. And w or, or even in the Obi-Wan series. Yep. But probably the Cassian one, because I desperately want Jimmy Smith in that, and I want Bail Organa. It seems like it's a very appropriate. Um, it would be interesting if uh, Obi-Wan got to have some interactions with a young Leia. And I, I know we've talked about like the possibilities for having young Leia in in the Obi-Wan show or the Cassian show. Um, it's so interesting that that, like... Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope is one of the most famous lines in Star Wars. The two never meet in the Skywalker saga. No. No. They Unless they've do. met before. But but well, not, not he, memorably, because she has to kind of clarify who she is in the well, he, he he picks up Leia when she's when she's born. 
okay, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know her as like a person, though. No. And she has to say, years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. Yeah. So she has to kind of clarify, look, this is who I am in case you don't recognize me. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's why I think you can get away with it either way. Yeah. Uh, and there was rumor that, again, it's, it's resurfaced that um, they are casting for a young Luke and Leia. So that rumor did come up again that, indeed, um, precocious blonde and brunette boy girl of eight to ten years old are being casted right okay so. <laughs> um, um camino i love camino except what else camino can you do be, with camino unless they want to like like to recharge bring cloning back bring cloning back recharge the old cloning mill yeah like talk about like the death star wreckage let's see the camino wreckage i want to see the cloning facilities if you're trying to like get some information out of there That'd be cool. I mean, you only need three or four planets for a movie. I'd like to see some some come back. And so, yeah, let's yeah. not waste a lot of time creating new ones. Definitely don't make a new one to put our hero in like a new desert planet so that I have to spend the first 10 minutes trying to figure out if we're on Tatooine in the first place. Well, like Ajin Kloss, which is the end planet, um, the rebel base in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. They do a backtrack to show that Luke trained Leia, Leia there. Perfect. Ray will train all of her students on Ajin Kloss. There's no reason for it not to be that way. What kind of a planet Octo is that? Jungle planet. It's oh, cool. the that that's the one that um that's the one where the resistance base is in Rise of Skywalker. I see the jungle, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's no like it's lush, it's uh it's a high it's like a force nexus in positive in like the, the light side of the force. Makes perfect sense for that to be where she would train Jedi. Don't build some other random planet and just put it there because you want to have your own planet. Yes. Um I want to see some planets, and I mentioned this before, with just weird materials. Mm. I want to see more uh, cloud city sky, like an orange sky. Give me a green sky. Give me um, like purple sand. Yeah, Cloud City is really such a creation of the late seventies, isn't it? It's like it's what an interesting concept mm. that they've never been so um, just just weird about they've never they've never made such such uh unusual choices for design but i think i think they should i think it's logical and they do in the clone wars which is great because george lucas can get his kind of craziness out of the way but i think to a degree there should be more of that it can show a little bit more um i mean it makes more sense than having all these places look like they're just directly from earth and when you have the volume now i mean you, right. you should be able to do all these crazy things and so uh, I am curious to see kind of the different planets that they can explore with that technology. Should we clarify what the volume is? We we refer to that a lot. Sorry, yeah, the volume would be a 360 degree, uh, or maybe not 360 degree, but like 300 degree uh, dome-shaped um, green screen yep. that isn't a green screen at all is actually um, like a 4K screen. So it's... Uh, a set it's a digital set with live uh scenery projected around it uh large enough where you're able to put machinery and equipment to truly simulate um a post-produced cgi'd uh scene while it's being shot and acted out so that the actors have a lot to go off of uh and interact with which obi which uh ewan mcgregor has already stated he's extremely excited to work on because of uh, how many of the actors uh, struggled to do um, during the prequels interact with uh, all the blue screen. What's going on in the news? A anything to report Star Wars wise? I it seems like it's pretty quiet these days. Uh, nothing. 
<laughs> there is uh, Adria Ajorna. Uh, she looks to be in her mid twenties. Um, and uh, let's see, what's what's she from? Um, Pacific Rim. Okay. And uh, oh, what's the other show? Uh, wow, this is a bad article that I pulled up because I only had one thing that she's from. But anyway, she's going to be in the Cassian show. It's just another casting from that. Cool. So okay. uh, there, but also uh, Diego Luna did come out to say that uh, I'm no rush to go back to filming. The, there's are far more important things in the world going on right now. We'll get to it. That's classic. Um, yeah, it is. Um, really, shockingly, nothing in Star Wars. So many, because there's nothing in Star Wars, uh, the rumors of George Lucas coming back and Kathleen Kennedy being fired and the J.J. Abrams cut uh, and the Lucas cut. Oh my God. They're all resurfacing because people have nothing to talk about. Oh and my God. That's all complete garbage. There is definitely a JJ Abrams cut with that is uh, 20 minutes to 40 minutes longer. Yeah. There's a 0% chance there isn't because there's no deleted scenes for the rise of Skywalker. Right. That's just not how movies are made. Right. And there was also so many leaks that came out that it was going to be 250 and then it was 225. So we know that there's deleted scenes, that there's a longer cut, but it's not a different movie. It's just there's so just strange. maybe a couple more scenes. It's so strange to me that people decide they dislike Kathleen Kennedy, who's like one of the great film producers of all time, by the way. Mm. And, and she's so, not done a great job with Star Wars, but 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 so that means because they dislike her, she's going to get fired. Like pe people so are delusional stupid. and selfish. Uh, that's very very silly. Yeah, during a, during a pandemic, they're going to do that yeah. as opposed to having someone who's an experienced leader. Um, during like a time of crisis and while they're trying to reorganize things. Yeah, she's not going to be with Star Wars forever. No. But financially, she's been a success for them. And the one mistake she made, uh, one massive mistake she made of, of, of not forcing her directors to work together was a mistake that was made long ago and has snowballed. But it was a mistake made long ago. Get over it, people. I want to wish a happy birthday on Tuesday, August 11th to Ian McDiarmid. That's a big one. That is a big one. How old is he? Uh, I don't have that for you, but he's old. Uh, e <laughs> e equally as big, uh, Wednesday the 12th, happy birthday to Oliver Ford Davies, who's C.O. Bibble, an equally oh, impactful nice. character in Star Wars for sure. Well, he's 76, probably. 76, okay. Well, that's actually, I would have said he was in his 80s. Yeah, he looks good. He's definitely got uh, definitely got all the vibes. Uh, man, one of the best. The best moment from Rise of Skywalker was Ian McDiarmid saying, roll it again to the trailer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that was so badass. Oh, he's got some uh, some time left in him. He could be around for episode 10. We could see that happen. And, oh, uh, film it now. So j just film his parts now. Have him say all kinds of evil stuff and do it. And like, do it. I am the Senate. <laughs> I am the Sith. I am the, the, the chosen dark side. Have him say everything like that so that he can do it. And same with James Earl Jones. And happy birthday on Sunday, August 16th to Taika Waititi. Very excited to see what he has coming for us in the future. Uh, listen, we really want to hear your top six favorite Star Wars uh, songs, compositions, pieces of music, uh, motifs, uh, anything at all you can you can let us know. Please do tweet us at Recorder66, email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com, rate and review on your preferred podcast app, unless it's Spotify. I recently found out we're not on there. So use something else. Uh, and uh, until we are together again, may the force be with you.